Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's good to have so many of you joining us on a Friday. We're glad to have you. My name is Gary Harvat. I'm the Vice President of Client Services, and we appreciate you all joining us today as we discuss uh, something that's become a pretty much a dining room table term anymore, COVID-19. So we hope to provide uh, some great updated information for you and also take your questions along the way too. Uh, joining me on the panel today is an esteemed group of colleagues. Uh, some faces are ones that you've seen before, others uh, are new to you. So joining me uh, first and foremost, ladies first, uh, Celeste Plunkett. Celeste is new to our organization. She is the Clinical Quality and Risk Director for QuickMed Claims. Uh, Celeste, welcome. We're glad to have you. As well as my uh, colleagues who've been with me through thick and thin here, uh, Chuck Humphrey uh, from our business development team and Ed Morasco, our Vice President of Business Development Team. So the intent of today's program is simply to give each of you an update as to where we are as it relates to funding. Uh, there still be, seems to be some confusion out there and hopefully we can better clarify things uh, through today's program. Um, and along the way, you can feel free to ask questions. And for those of you joining us for the first time, you know that these webinars are a two-way street. You have the opportunity to ask questions and you can do so if you look at the bottom of your video screen you will see a little icon that says Q&A. Uh, if you click on that and type your question in, uh, we will pose them to our panel and hopefully give you uh, a good solid answer, uh, best practice as it can be. We all know that some of the information we've been getting has not been black and white, a little gray, so we'll do our best to clarify it for you. And also, if you wish to ask your question aloud, you can also click on the icon that says uh, raise hand, I'll see your hand go up, I'll open up your mic, and you can pose the question that way. So either way works, uh, but I will encourage you to ask questions as often and frequently as you wish, and we will pose them to the panel and uh, hopefully do a good job for you as time goes on uh, through the program today. So let me first start off by introducing Chuck Humphrey. Chuck will uh, take you for, through the first part of the program, give you a few updates and talk to you about a few things as far as the funding goes to make sure everybody's on the same page. So without any further ado, Chuck. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, just really glad to join you once again. And uh, uh, hey, happy EMS week. Um, so we're in the middle of that. And I can't think of another EMS week that means more uh, to me and uh, seeing what all of you are doing out there than this one. So hats off. Those of you on the front lines, we appreciate you so much. So I want to start out real quick before I get into the uh, material on the slide, just to talk about a, um, a uh, nice uh, webinar that I intended yesterday, um, sponsored by the American Ambulance Association. And it was a town hall with uh, Senator Bill Cassidy, who's uh, uh, out of Louisiana. Very, uh, he's an MD and a very good supporter of EMS and, uh, and emergency services. Uh, did a great job. There were um, a few uh, presenters from the AAA representing ambulance service from throughout the country, uh, but he opened with some information I'll just share with you. Um, he wanted us to know in the industry that there is a discussion right now in Congress about extending the uh, payroll protection plan uh, from the eight week period to 24 weeks. So basically tripling the amount of time that you would have to use that money. Um, and so, and also you mentioned 
that um, the 75% rule, whereas if you spend that money on 75% uh, for um, keeping jobs open, um, it, that may be re, um, relaxed a bit. So you may be able to fall under that mark. And then what that triggers is that you don't have to pay that loan back. So it then becomes a grant. And also if you, um, if it does become a loan and you do use it for something other than uh, totally on uh, payroll, uh, they're talking about instead of a five-year payback, ex doubling that and extending it to a 10-year payback period, which would mean lower payments, uh, stretching that out so the impact is is drawn out and not such a hit right up front. In addition to that, I was uh, very happy to hear that he uh, has introduced together with uh, Senator Bob Menendez out of New Jersey, a bipartisan bill, which he calls the SMART Act, uh, which would um, uh, allocate $500 billion specifically for cities and state organizations, because there, um, there is a lot of concern that a lot of the money went to nonprofits, a lot of the money, uh, stimulus money in EMS went to even privates, but that some of the, municip uh, the municipal organizations, EMS fire, um, was not able to tap into that funding so readily. So he, uh, he gave us a thumbs up that he believes that he and Senator Menendez have the support to push this bill through. And uh, he's hoping that it does become a reality in the near future as Congress considers another wave or two or three of new stimulus money. So just wanted to pass that on for what is worth. I thought it was um, 30 minutes of a very busy man's time in the midst of a crisis that he lent to specifically EMS. So hats off to those gentlemen. Uh, I know sometimes our politics these days get a little muddy, but when you see our leaders in this country step up in the name of EMS, uh, it, it, it's gratifying. So um, stay tuned. Um, I'm sure we'll hear more about that. All right, so let's move into the slide. Uh, so our idea today, this some of this you may have heard, but we're still getting questions in our office from clients who um, uh, are a little foggy about what this all was. They're still finding some of the money. Uh, that was the first round. So uh, when we talked about this, we thought we, we thought we would take you back, just go over where we've been, roll out anything that's new or revised. So if this is a recap for you, um, listen intently because there may be some new things things thrown in. But uh, this way you have a good uh, feel for the whole thing as a whole. You know, we kind of hit this in pieces as it rolled out. And now we're kind of taking a look back and bringing it all together for you. And I hope this is helpful for you. So the first round of stimulus kind of surprised all of us, um, most of us, uh, $30 billion was allocated within the CARES Act when it was first passed. And it showed up boom, sometime between April 10th and April 17th, uh, to much everyone's surprise, and was labeled in your bank account as coming from HHS. Uh, so everyone got an allotment. It was um, a, uh, uh, a Medicare-based uh, dollar amount, um, and uh, there was no application for it. It just showed up. Uh, the uh, calculation was uh, your 2019 Medicare fee-for-service dollars multiplied by a factor of 0 0.06192. So basically $62,000 on a million. Uh, we can tell you when we first rolled this out, um, they introduced it without the first leading zero. And there were a little bit of a wonky calculation there. Um, we found out soon as clients started to, we worked with them to, to uh, calculate that, 
uh, everyone missed the zero, no big deal, uh, but it did come out. Um, and then potentially there may be more money in that allotment than just CMS. One of the things that kind of took us by surprise, but was logical as clients who called, especially from uh, municipal bodies that had a health department that also bills Medicare, the money was all rolled together based on the tax ID. And so we've had a couple clients that we worked with to figure out what was EMS and what was the health department. It caused a little bit of confusion. And then, you know, for most of uh, your cities, counties, um, there's a, an accounting for that money and how it's spent. And um, the allocation of that was a little bit cumbersome, but uh, most were able to figure that out. We were able to help them. Initially, from the first stimulus dollars that dropped to your account, um, there was a 30-day time limit to go online and attest and accept the money. And this was important because you could not apply for second round unless you physically accepted first. They did stretch that out to 45 days uh, just last week uh, because a number of clients were still finding, um, still of ambulance service were still finding it. Um, they didn't know quite what it meant. And so uh, the government heard them and they did uh, roll that out. The other thing that we noticed is, uh, and I forgot to mention, um, the dollars showed up in a number of different places. So the reason why some of you may not have found it to begin with was it, um, in most cases, the dollars were dropped to the uh, electronic um, count, your dollars, um, your bank account, uh, that you receive your Medicare money from. But there were a number of you that had an account tied to your federal grant programs, FEMA grants, uh, federal programs. And um, that some of the funds dropped to that account. And that's something that a lot of folks don't regularly look at. It's not a general fund account, so to speak. And so um, we sent them kind of on a scavenger hunt and a number of clients that we worked with that didn't think they received the money later found it in one of these uh, accounts. So if you're out there and you didn't receive first round uh, and you thought that maybe you didn't get it, you might want to still check one of those dusty old accounts that you have out there that maybe haven't received money from in a while. Uh, could be that it's there. So the uh, stimulus money, both first and second round, uh, must be spent on prevention, preparation, mitigation of this public health emergency or to offset losses for this PHE period. And I, we wanna make that clear because we've had a number of questions. Well, what do I use it for? What, what, you know, what can I use it for? What can I use it for? Um, basically it was very open-ended, but we will tell you that you do need to account for this at some point when this is all over. They have not rolled out what that's going to be yet. So we really don't know what that's going to look like, but we uh, believe uh, in the industry that this will be similar to how you account for a federal grant money. And so you should keep very good records about what your expenditures, um, make sure you have trails of paper and or digital trails that will lead back to what you spent the money on. And the, and the other caution is folks, as we said before, if you have received money from other sources that's related to uh, this uh, public health emergency, then do not spend these dollars on the same um, line item that you spent that money for. So if the, another grant was specific to, let's say, PPE, then do not spend this money on PPE.
And then finally, uh, when accepting the dollars. Now, we did have a few of you who rejected the money and then enacted to return it. And the reason for that was because some of you were concerned that the out-of-pocket billing prohibition that comes with accepting the money may leave you less funds than what you got in this stimulus round. And a number of you did a great job in computing that, figuring that out, did not want to deal with that. We certainly understand. However, I can tell you that, um, Gary, I believe about 98.9% of all of our clients uh, did accept and keep the money. So um, this then enacted uh, an out-of-pocket billing prohibition, which our people, um, we spent some time here internally studying that. So we understand exactly what we can and cannot do um, and have enacted processes and uh, flows in our um, operation system to separate these accounts when they are paid and to um, keep a track of how the counter billing is happening. Now, when I say that, you say, well, I thought that you couldn't bill secondary. Well, the, um, the statement made in the attestation as you receive the money uh, made the statement that no patient could be billed beyond what they reasonably would expect to be billed if the provider of service were in network. Now, many of you may be in network, and if that's the case, then most likely there would be no billing past the initial payment. However, those of you who are not in network and are chosen to transport a patient or a patient chooses you or you're called just out of uh, rotation um, and you're not in network with their insurance, typically you then would bill up to your full charge. It is this type of bill that is prohibited under receiving the care stimulus funds. So we would only be able to bill equal to what an in-network payment would be uh, suspected to be and what that copay or deductible would be applied for that in-network provider. So uh, I think we've done an excellent job here of segregating those claims, um, dealing with them, and our operations people are just now getting into that phase as those payments from that first wave, so to speak, are starting to roll in. Gary, you want to advance that slide? Thank you. Oops, my bad, Chuck. Nope, that's okay. So the second round was triggered um, based on a new uh, round of funding that was always part of the 50 billion first allotted, 30 billion first round, 20 billion second round. Uh, Gary, go back to the second. I think we're on the uninsured. There we go. Okay, thank you. Um, so another 20 billion available. In this round, uh, as the provider or supplier, you were required to do an online application. Uh, so you applied using your last IRS tax return, or if you're a municipal, you would have used your audited financial. Some of you are still going through that process and using that. I just got a call yesterday from a, a city organization that we uh, partner with, and they were unsure about what numbers they were to uh, place. And also you must upload uh, documentation to prove that tax return, be it a 990 or your uh, for-profit tax return or in a municipal case would be your last audit of financial. I can tell you um, that the, the government did not allow a very large upload size 
So um, if you are in that process, make sure that you are narrowing the size of the scan that you're doing of your document and limit it to prove the dollars that you are reporting. Uh, so just uh, a word to the wise, we did have uh, uh, some organizations that tried to upload and they were blocked and it was just due to file size. So keep that file as, um, as, as small as you can. Now this round is computed and are you ready for this folks? Only the federal government could come up with a formula like this. So the next round is net revenue, total net revenue for your last IRS reporting period. If you filed in 2019, you'd use 2019. If you didn't file uh, since uh, 2018, you'd use 2018, last audit of financial, whatever that total net revenue would be. And remember folks, if you have more than one department, it is by tax ID. So you would have to combine your health department with your ambulance. It, it may not be all EMS, but for most of us that are listening in, Certainly, it would be uh, your EMS revenue. Uh, this dollar amount divided by 2.5 trillion, that factor then multiplied by 50 billion, and then finally, you subtract whatever you received in the first round. Now, do you need to calculate that and put that number in? No. The government knows that number. It could also be, folks, that in certain uh, highly affected areas that they allowed you a little more in the first round and disregarded second round. So we have some folks that got quite a big number that went outside the first round calculation. And that was because they allotted more money to that geographical area. And there is no guarantee folks that you will receive second round stimulus money. It's based on the calculation. Um, and again, must be spent prevention, preparation, mitigation, nothing changes and the out of pocket billing provision uh, applies. Chuck, a couple questions. Yes. So the first question comes from our good friend up there in New York. Can previous submissions for round two be amended? Um, I, do, I don't have an answer for that directly. I've never had anybody ask me that question. Um, I don't know of a vehicle to do that. Um, the application process is log in, submit, and get a confirmation. Um, I am unaware of an amendment process. The only the only thing I would say is if you had a reason why you may want to reapply and amend is, is you might want to call the helpline, question them about the process if there is one. Um, I will tell you that the helpline has been very basic in their answers. And most of the time for an answer like that, I will suspect that they will tell you, we'll take your name and number and somebody from the escalation will get back to you. Um, in the last round of I'll get back to you was supposed to be within 24 hours. Uh, that was six days and yesterday I just got a call back and the person didn't know the answer, but just wanted to know if somebody reached out to me from my question from the previous week. So uh, I don't know how soon, but I, I, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know of an amendment process, but I won't say no. I think you'll have to call and, and pose that question and see what your guidance is from the HHS help people. Got one more uh, folks, uh, Ed or Celeste, if you'd be willing to chime in here, does accepting dollars in round one or round two make us more susceptible for a federal audit?
Yeah, so <clears throat> great question. I, you know, I don't get the sense that there is uh, there's any uh, increase in the level of auditing. Uh, if you accept those dollars, I, I will say, and there have been a few stories uh, in, the, in the journals recently uh, about folks who really gained the system. There was, a, there was an entity um, that uh, uh, an individual uh, in New York City that uh, had a couple, I think, 10 or $12 million received um, and it wasn't a real entity. And so I think, you know, if, if there's a little bit of gaming of the system, certainly I would expect CMS to audit, HHS to audit these things. But I don't think right now, just by virtue of the fact that you accept the money, it puts you on the radar screen, because I think the majority of people probably have accepted the money. Celeste, would you concur? Yeah, I agree. And, and they know generally what your um, call volume and revenue and types of calls are based on what they're already paying. So if they see anything that's outside of that, that looks suspicious, that would obviously put you on the radar. Thank you. Keep the questions coming folks. Uh, we're here to answer them for you. So don't be backward, type them in. And when we get a moment, we'll post them to the panel. Chuck, continue if you would, please. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, move over next slide there, G, and we're going to talk about, um, the uninsured program. So uh, the Causing next part a lot of confusion of, these days, this one right here. Oh, so. yes, indeed. You're telling me this was a, this has been a real, this has been a real mess. <laughs> and I say that endearingly, but um, the, uh, the government rolled this out very quickly using United Healthcare Group as their contractor, uh, using the system that we know in our industry is Optum for both submitting information and receiving payments. Um, so this was uh, an allotment of $2 billion for testing and a total allotment of $100 billion, quote unquote, where a portion of that would be for the provider relief fund, which is where the stimulus funds are coming from. We don't know how much. Um, with all of the providers that are billing into this system, um, I, I'm concerned that it will move quickly um, you know, when you talk about $100 billion, it seems like a lot. We know now from past stimulus uh, funds and watching those funds quickly evaporate that this could be a quick process. But for now, this is a um, system whereby because the COVID-affected patient cannot be balance billed, surprise billed, that extends over to the patient that has been confirmed does not have insurance coverage. And the idea, the administration um, uh, in, in their quest to not burden a patient who is suffering from no fault of their own from this pandemic, um, to not be maliciously billed by providers or suppliers. Uh, and, and that could be any type of bill because everyone's struggling right now. So this, uh, I, the idea of this program was to, um, for providers and suppliers to apply to receive a provider number. And then once enrolled, you can submit claims where you have completely vetted out and have been able to prove that there is no possible um, insurance coverage. Now, the concern in, in our shop about this is many times, so let's say someone had a job and they lost the job due to their business being closed for the pandemic and suddenly they apply for Medicaid. Well, as with the unemployment rolls, the Medicaid system is taxed. And so these systems were not readily 
available to everyone. So the application process for what we call retroactive Medicaid ground to a halt because there were so many users. And so while we await the possibility that that person may have applied for Medicaid, everyone else, and I shouldn't say everyone else because everyone's still in the same boat, but other providers and suppliers are billing to the system and the race to get the funds um, is kind of a hurry up and wait type of situation. And, and then as, as, as our clients began to apply, the phone started ringing because for municipal suppliers, there was no tax classification. So they basically gave four tax classifications that you could apply for this program. And it was uh, a private tax. It was nonprofit uh, uh, that used the 990. It was um, uh, a, a, um, um, uh, an estate uh, and that kind. And then they gave nothing for anyone who doesn't pay taxes, meaning the municipal. So when we first called the helpline, we had a client kind of test the waters and, and call because the client had the call. Um, they were told that they forgot to use the category and that they would quickly enter that. Well, quickly meant about a week later. And then when they entered the category, the next day, for some reason, it disappeared and clients again could not uh, log in. So whereas we were hoping that all of our clients, our ambulance services that we bill for, were able to apply on by April 6th when this program opened, Many of them found they were days, if not a week or so later, till they could make their application. And the first payments were to start rolling in 12 days from that May 6th date. So payments are starting to flow as of four days ago, which would have been the 18th. Um, and the system will pay out a claim based on the prevailing Medicare fee-for-service uh, fee schedule rate for that geographic area. So whatever you receive in Medicare money will be paid for these patients. And, and um, so, uh, and also initially uh, air and water ambulances were not included. It was only for ground. And then later that changed and became an all encompassing thing. Now this would be for any claims where a patient was COVID affected on or after February 4th. So it would be February 4th on data service that we can submit a claim on your behalf uh, to this program. Now, because of the dust up and the ambiguity in this process, uh, we have taken a step back and we are holding claims right now um, to make sure that every update has been published uh, just within the last two days or so there were uh, uh, considerable updates on the website, uh, especially regarding uh, what is a COVID-affected patient. The first uh, language in the, um, in the statements that were made indicated that a patient had to have a positive diagnosis. That was not the case later, clarified um, that it could be anyone who had suspected signs and symptoms, a person under investigation as of the time of that the service or the transport was provided. So that was, um, that was a breathe of a bit of a sigh of relief because we were really concerned that we, you know, would not know if a patient tested later positive, uh, even though the Ryan White Act is in place. Uh, many times 
our clients are not always advised of the positive testing simply because of the sheer number of people that's going through the process. Gary, you can advance there, please, sir. So this, again, it was an all electronic process. There are no paper claims. No payments will come by check. Our process on your behalf, or if you are maintaining uh, an administrator role, um, some of the hospital systems that we bill for maintain that role because they're also submitting claims for other parts of their business lines. And so in any event, a patient roster is submitted of potential uh, folks that fall under this program. Then a temporary patient ID is returned that is good for 30 days. At that point, we apply that ID to a claim in our billing system. We code the claim using the correct COVID-19 ICD-10 codes. We apply the correct HCPCS codes for the level of service provided. And then those claims uh, move to the uh, government uh, contractor for payment via the clearinghouses that we all use. So 98% of all the nation's clearinghouses climbed on board with this. And immediately, I will say that was a very quick process um, and agreed to work with the government so no one was left out. Um, once those claims are submitted, they're scrubbed using a process called Smart Edit. And if there is any possibility within the payment algorithm that that claim may be denied, the, the claims are returned in what uh, an electronic transaction, a HIPAA transaction that we call the 277. It's an informational uh, electronic uh, code set transaction. We can then review what the government feels may be an issue, fix that claim and then resubmit it. Once it's submitted, it's supposed to be one and done. There's no appellate rights. However, we have learned this week that their customer service folks are telling that there may be a possibility of fixing the claim due to the ambiguity in the process. We're still exploring that. We have not had enough of those yet to see whether that's a customer service person that may not know what they're talking about or truly is something that they made an exception for because of the complexity of this process. So stay tuned folks, uh, again, our operations people are doing an absolute fabulous job of segregating these claims, properly vetting them out, and the discussions that I've been part of, Ed, Celeste, Gary, I'm in awe. I really am. Because we're the guys, you know, I'm the talking head here, but there are hundreds of people in our organization that every day are dealing claim by claim at a time. And I have to take my hat off. I don't mind bragging a little bit. This is the best well-oiled machine I've ever seen in the midst of ambiguity, just incredibly done well. So uh, rest assured folks um, that we have got this. Um, we may not know everything because the government doesn't roll it out very easy, but we certainly are uh, responding in kind and taking the necessary precautions to protect your interests at all levels. And, uh, and I'm really proud of, of how we're handling this here at QuickBed Claims. Chuck, just a question. I think this one might be better for Ed. Uh, Ed, is the air medical industry managing those uninsured patients any differently than ground? Yeah, great question. And the answer is no, there's, there's not a need to do that. Um, you know, we can follow the same protocol uh, to be able to handle the claims the same way. 
Thank you. Obviously different, uh, uh, different CPT code. Sure. Celeste, did you want to add something there or covered it? Okay. Thank you. Chuck, feel free. Yep. Just advance that slide, my friend. Gotcha. And then we just, uh, so I get, again, I, we talked about this. First claims could be submitted May 6th. First payment uh, started in theory on uh, May 18th. And then again, the program's subject to available funding. And maybe tomorrow we get a notice saying, okay, funds are exhausted. We don't know this. And again, we don't know what the allotment is. So we'll let you know. We'll keep you posted. Um, and then how we proceed from there will be um, whether there's a refunding or whether that's it or what the case may be. Uh, and I just wanted to talk quickly about the payroll protection program. So um, small businesses were able to apply. These were businesses had fewer than 500 employees or met the industry size standard if more than 500. Uh, this loan program ran out of funds initially and was refunded by an additional 75 billion on April 27th. And again, as we talked initially, um, the loan will be forgiven if used uh, and proven to used, uh, have been used by um, to keep 75% of the dollars uh, flowing to keep payrolls and jobs. And then we just threw a kind of a mishmash of a few things that just wanted to call your attention to so you're aware of other funding sources. Um, FEMA um, put out a notice of funding opportunity of $100 million for the uh, fiscal year AFG grant, supplemental AFG grant, uh, which is called the COVID-10 supplemental program. Um, that uh, application process closed a week ago. Uh, so just wanted to know it was there. And those of you that applied, uh, hopefully you'll uh, see funding flow soon for that. Uh, we're hoping that uh, you're able to take avail of that. Um, there has been a CDC elevation for first responders that all of us in the industry that are active uh, now have highest priority for COVID-19 testing. I know here in my area in Eastern Pennsylvania, uh, right up the road in Wilkes-Barre, um, there's a, um, uh, a, a hockey arena and event center and their entire parking lot was devoted to uh, state uh, driven testing. And um, for the first week, it was exclusive to first responders in our area. So you do all have the highest priority by the federal government to be tested. We talked about the Ryan White Act. Um, this applies folks, uh, if you're having trouble getting um, positive test results uh, back from the facilities that you transport to, um, do have a discussion with them. Um, it is important, certainly, that you know when someone is deemed to be positive, test positive, um, so you can um, uh, contact trace your people. Um, and, uh, and also, if um, you uh, can connect with your billing director or account manager, share that information back uh, so we know on claims, that would be very helpful for us as well. Um, it won't hurt to kind of close that loop where the billing is concerned. Um, do want to let you know once again, there were uh, all 50 states and territories had state by state Social Security Administration, 11, we call them the 1135 waivers. So there were blanket waivers, uh, things like relaxing um, signature requirements uh, for certain claims and um, things like relaxing uh, provider signatures on um, some um, PCRs and, and that was sort of across the board. And then each state was granted a waiver for specific things. And the best example I can give of that is relaxing the um, application rules for Medicaid um, coverage. 
And so some of those uh, stringent application rules were dropped to um, hasten the process, move that along quicker. Um, so um, there were um, there were blanket exceptions uh, granted for Medicare on crew requirements for ambulances. So and I know in our state, uh, you know, the basic life support ambulance has to be uh, an EMT and a, at least an EMR. They relaxed that to be a driver with uh, EVOC training and uh, an EMT. For paramedic trucks, it was released um, um, uh, from the paramedic and the EMT. It could be a paramedic and an EMR uh, because of people being uh, affected and then staffing dropped, uh, um, you know, and so the, uh, there was some of that relaxation. Uh, the 2% sequestration was suspended uh, starting May 1st until the end of the year. The government will not pull 2% in dollars from Medicare payments. Um, this is something that has been going on for several years and will continue through the year of 2029, uh, where the Medicare fee schedule payment is reduced upon paying you and I for what we do uh, by 2%. This has been waived uh, and will not be applied. So you will get 2% more dollars on your Medicare dollars through the end of the year. Um, fiscal year safer grants uh, were opened up, additional grants. Those closed uh, Friday 515. Uh, so those of you that applied, you should be seeing those uh, uh, determinations of dollars come to you very soon. Um, the accelerated Medicare payment program, which many of you applied for and did receive money um, up front, uh, was suspended once the stimulus money started rolling out. So this was not a loan or a grant. This was, we're going to give you um, what you, uh, a calculation of what you received in dollars for the three months previous uh, prior to the public health emergency, and you could apply and then get a lump sum. And then as new claims come in, um, that was worked down until the point where you've satisfied and equaled in new claims equal to the money that you received. So it was basically giving you money up front. That's been suspended. Um, I would assume some of you are still working through uh, repaying, quote unquote. Uh, so you're probably going to see a bit of dip in your Medicare money during that time frame, And that is the reason why. And we uh, certainly rolled out a caution to you <clears throat> if you did take that money that you would see that impact your cash flow later on. And I would think that some of you are seeing that now. Um, United Healthcare Group ex accelerated their payments uh, as well um, to the tune of 2 billion to get money out in the provider community. And then uh, many states are still considering and or have enacted uh, state hazard pay. New Hampshire was one of the first. Uh, so providers up there are getting a state subsidized additional uh, dollar amount in their paychecks to offset the fact that they are on the front line. So um, we hope that uh, many of you <clears throat> are part of that and um, there may be even some uh, continuing consideration. I know here in Pennsylvania, I believe they're still kind of batting that one around uh, in, in the state legislature, what they're gonna do with that. So um, Gary, I think that is my quick overview. Yes, sir. Um, so just a couple of things that we probably want to just discuss with the group here, Chuck is, uh, and Ed, Celeste, uh, received a couple questions, not today, but I think it's worth mentioning uh, from some of our uh, clients asking about cost data collection, especially from those who have been chosen in the first round. 
And there have been some changes with that just recently. So I thought that was a, a good idea that we should maybe just re retouch and recap that. You bet. Um, folks, anybody want to take that? If not, I will. So, <clears throat> so um, <clears throat> cost data, those of you that were chosen in the first round of the cost data selection, um, cost data collection program, uh, were to begin collecting your data for this year and then report uh, early next year. Uh, there was communication that came out uh, about 10 days ago that led us to believe that you, if chosen, could choose to continue this year or move your collection period till next year. However, later in that communication, it indicated that all would be moved forcibly. And I don't mean that to be negative, just we didn't have the option. So um, thanks to our friends at Page Wolf North, uh, the American Ambulance Association, they reached out to the government and then the answer came back that absolutely there would be no data collection for 2020, that the first rounders would be moved to 2021 along with those who will be receiving notice for second round and reporting will then begin in early 2022. So you're relaxed from keeping your costs this year. Um, the guidance that we have been giving you and will continue to uh, talk to you about once this PHE is over. We've kind of shifted gears here, um, but um, uh, we will continue to give you that lay of the land and you can start prepping for that. I wouldn't drop whatever you're doing, except you're not going to collect this year's data, but I still would begin the prep. This is a good pad for you to take a breath and kind of put everything in place. So when the, the New Year's Eve hits uh, on 2021 in January, um, you are ready to go. So uh, it's a reprieve. Um, I'm a little disappointed, Ed, um, Celeste, uh, Gary, um, because I was hoping that this would demonstrate to Congress how fluid our costs can be and how they can change at the snap of a finger. I would have liked Congress to see the increased costs and the impact on revenue that this public health emergency has had on our industry. Uh, I'm disappointed, but I believe uh, as I read what I've been reading that the um, justification from the government was they didn't want to see that unusual cost because they're trying to determine what the everyday costs are. And that makes mm -hmm. sense, but I sure was hoping that we could make a statement with that reporting uh, of how negatively this thing has impacted our industry. And uh, that's unfortunate, but um, I'm sure that um, we'll see some other discussion about how we can report the costs. I know in the second round, and I've, I failed to mention this, that there was a random question asking uh, what your losses were for March and April. Um, that wasn't any determinant to determine how much money you were gonna get uh, in the second round but the government's already begun to ask questions about how much it's impacted. So that's good to see. Hopefully there'll be some other projects of that nature, but you're off the hook guys, but um, don't lose the momentum because now's the no, time to prepare. Right. Yeah. Two, two points about that. First of all, um, a report just came out. Our hospital colleagues, uh, the month of April was the worst in terms of hospital financial performance in the history of healthcare. Uh, and, and with respect to change in uh, financial performance year over year. And the second thing is, and Chuck and I participated on a webinar last night 
until uh, about eight o'clock or so uh, <laughs> that, uh, you know, we made this point and I think it's, a, it's important to drive it home. This cost data reporting is incredibly important to the future of our profession. And so while you got a little bit of a reprieve now, please keep those systems in place to capture all the information that you need, both the COVID related stuff, but also put the systems in place and make sure you're keeping them in place because next year when, you, when you're back under the microscope, we want those costs to be captured as completely as possible because we firmly believe that the future of reimbursement from a government perspective will rest largely on what the findings are, what the outcome is uh, of these cost data reports. Agree, Ed. And just a warning that we've given before, uh, cost data is a serious and important matter for us to address as an industry. Please uh, do yourself, do the industry a favor and give us good data. Please don't wait till the second week of May in 2022 to start working on it. This is actually a great thing. You almost get to do a practice run uh, if you're in the first round by starting to look at the tool and look at the questions and look at the needs that you're gonna have and the information you're gonna have to collect. Um, one of the questions that was posed to us is, did they ever come out with a format to do the cost collection? Um, I'm not sure I understand that fully. Well, but. they gave guidance. Um, they, um, they, they never opened the reporting tool because that really wasn't to happen till at least the end of the fourth quarter this right. year. Um, I would direct, if, you, if you're really interested in seeing what probably is the closest thing, I would direct you to the American Ambulance Association and their AMBER tool. Now that is four members. And there is a cost to that. So it's not a free thing. But I think that is the closest thing that we have that shows us what that may look like. At least it will enable you to collect, help to collect the costs. Um, I, I believe that there may be um, an EPCR vendor that's kind of dabbling in that whole realm. And I don't know how that, that development may have been, um, may have been uh, suspended now. But um, I, I, what the best thing to look at is if you can go back um, and not tooting our own horn in any way, but uh, take time to go over the podcast um, recordings that we did. Um, I think I had gotten as far as about the middle of that uh, process that we had laid it out and kind of just took it piece by piece. And then I had to suspend our efforts on that. Uh, Gary and I did, um, and Ed was involved in that as well um, because of you know, everything started to ramp up with COVID. But now if, if things kind of chill with this a little bit, we'll kind of go back and take that up um, and try to roll the rest of that out for you to give you, um, you know, a piece by piece thought process of what you need to think about. But uh, I, you know, I, if you're a AAA member, um, I would reach out to them. You might want to take a look at the Ember tool. It's the closest thing I think we have to what that end process will be for the end user. Thank you. Feel free to continue to ask questions. I'm gonna ask the panel uh, one more question and if we don't get any other referred from the audience, we'll adjourn. But uh, I'm gonna ask everybody to pick up their crystal ball. And so this thing ends. None of us have any idea when it's gonna formally end. Thankfully, we're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel with the numbers seemingly going down. There is considerable worry about round two, but what will our industry, what do you think our industry is gonna look like 
after this is all said and done. We're doing some things now that we didn't expect to be doing. We're hoping to do more. We surely, while they may not know us as well as we want them to, Chuck, I think we've heightened, we've heightened the awareness of our legislators. And I think that can only work to our benefit in the long run. But what do you think, what do you think our industry is going to look like? And again, folks who are listening, uh, this is just our guesses. Nothing more than maybe a little science, but just our guesses. Ed? Yeah, Gee, and, and uh, again, we talked about this last night. I think the face of healthcare has changed forever. And uh, you know, one of the things that we've seen is the advancement in adoption of telemedicine. So this is not a new technology. There have been initiatives uh, you know, across health systems on the payer side uh, to try and advance the cause of, of telemedicine and virtual visits and those kinds of things. But uh, this crisis has forced us, uh, when I say us and the collective us, the population, to come to grips with healthcare delivered virtually. And so you'll, you'll read, if you're looking at the journals at all, uh, what you're seeing is that organizations, payers, providers, healthcare, integrated delivery systems are, are moving forward with virtual healthcare. And, and so the question for us in the transport world is, what does that mean for us? It's hard to tell exactly what it means. What it, in the near term, what it means is less volume, right? Folks are not as interested in going to the hospital. And, and, and there were some stories related yesterday where there were you know, agencies and, and the folks listening on the call today probably can come up with their own with relatively sick patients um, who refuse out of fear of exposure to, to this pandemic to go to the hospital circumstance. And look, we've all transported, we've all taken care of people over the course of our careers. They probably really did need to go is more of a social support, that kind of thing. But some really sick patients who refuse to go or don't wanna go because of the fear part of it. And I think that will continue to some level because folks you know, are finding other ways to get care. So some of the transport volume uh, will probably continue to be lower. And I think our client base is anywhere from 25 to 55% low typical volumes in this day and age. So I think that that's going to be a reality at some level. Uh, but I think a lot of that is going to happen at the lower level of acuity on the BLS side of things. Um, what, what we've seen and I think we'll continue to see is when patients do call, uh, they really are pretty sick. And so as, as uh, the, the concerns and the fear around the pandemic settled down, perhaps, you know, we hope, we all hope that a vaccine will become available later this year, or early next. And so folks will be more comfortable accessing the healthcare system, but I think uh, volumes are not going to be where they were. And so we talked last night a little bit about, folks, you're going to have to get creative. You're going to have to find other ways to make yourself an integral part of the healthcare delivery system. Um, we're no longer just medical transport agencies. We can't be anymore. And so uh, I think that's going to be incredibly important as you think about your future uh, of your particular organization uh, to try and find ways to, to make yourself valuable to the healthcare delivery system. Celeste, do you want to add anything there? I agree. I think uh, telemedicine, for one, is um, really taking off. It's been around for a while, used in you know isolated um, circumstances. But you know, there's good and bad to that. You know, um, you only get part of the story some of the times. Um, but I do think that that's going to be um, you know on the forefront more so now because of this pandemic. The other thing I think of is that. Um, 
people are using the uh, EMS systems and EDs in a more appropriate manner than they had in the past. Um, coming from the emergency department, you know, you know, in a day when we would see 200, 250, maybe 50 to 75 of them needed to be there. And that's what we're seeing now. Uh, but the, the bad side of that is, like Ed said, the acuity is much higher. So people are waiting when they shouldn't be because of the fear. So hopefully that'll, that'll turn around. I do want to say, though, that I think um, COVID overall has shown us how versatile everybody has been, um, you know, in, in a fluid situation, literally changing hour to hour on some of the aspects. So I think kudos to everybody for that. Thank you. Hey, I got, hey guys, uh, how about that? We've got a cl clinician on the panel. We're going to have yes. to keep her. Telling <laughs> me we are. Yes, for Lord sure. Knows they don't want us taking care of patients anymore. <laughs> no, 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 sure. not at all. Not at all. We uh, needed you for a long time, Celeste. Thank you for being here. So Chuck, any thoughts? Um, yeah, I, I think we're going to see fewer ambulance entities, and I think this is going to force and ramp up the kind of mergers and acquisitions that we have been seeing, but I think this will put it on steroids. I'm already seeing it in our area um, at a large, at a large pace. Um, uh, this is, you know, and, and I'm talking about dollars and cents, but we're also talking about, I, I got to tell you, I was part of a merger, uh, a home ambulance and where I served for 30 years. If I would have had to be an administrator calling the shots during this and, and doing it as a volunteer administrator, which I did for many years, it would have blown my mind. Uh, seriously, um, you, professionals taking care of care and making sure that everything's being followed correctly. There's something to be said for um, size and numbers. And I'm not saying that that's the death of the local ambulance service because there are many, many healthy and we have many healthy clients out there that are doing a great job in serving. But I think this is gonna stress those that were close talking about it, I've already seen where this is, this is pushing that conversation. And, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. I think the jury's still out on that. Um, I, I'm not going to comment on that. I know it worked for us. It may not work in all places. And there, there, was, um, uh, there was a bit of um, mourning that went on um, because I was used to that system for so very long. But we had, you have to think out of the box. And I've seen it now so work very well in several times. The other thing, uh, there was a presenter last night at, that I was really intrigued by is the mental health of our uh, EMS uh, first responders during this time and healthcare workers period. Um, we're going to finally be forced to pay even greater attention to the mental health and welfare of our people. Uh, suicide rate across the board during this public health emergency was coded last night up by 200%. And a large part of that is in our healthcare community. Um, this is uh, a young, bright young doctor from our area who graduated from a local high school in my area, promising, um, committed suicide just a few weeks ago as she was on the front line. She had taken ill, recovered from it, went back in play and just could not handle the stress. That is a tragedy. So um, I think all of us folks, those of you who are listening out there, um, let's take really good care of ourselves. Let's check in on each other. Let's make sure that your partner is okay at the end of shift. Uh, let's make sure that we're encouraging each other to talk to mental health professionals. Um, and look, I, I don't know about you, but 
just myself and I'm not on the front line right now, just be at home, you know, and it, it's, 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 it's stressful and zoom meetings are stressful and, you know, we laugh about it, but, but honestly, at the end of the day, when I've done, you know, back to back meetings, it's, it, the brain hurts, you know, and that's having an effect. So I can only imagine uh, what the guys and girls are do- dealing with out in the field right now. Uh, seeing the things that they're seeing, uh, worried about bringing it home. And so uh, I think it's going to kick us uh, at a greater awareness of mental health in, in uh, the first response in EMS and healthcare in general. And that's a good thing as long as we pay attention to it. So um, let, let's take care of one another. And I'll, that, that'll, I'll leave with my soapbox plea there, uh, Chief. No, thank you very much. And it's, good point. it's a good point, Chuck, because none of us are out in the field and uh, these folks on the front line um, have to be careful, have to check each other. And I know myself, uh, you know, we kind of portray us, at least the three of us, the three guys on here, kind of like uh, tough guys, broad shoulders, can take anything. And I can tell you over the last six or eight weeks, we've all watched each other cry over one thing or another. And it's because it's taken a toll on us, you know, and, you know, we've lived it. We've spent every day with it. This is what we do is nothing close, nothing close to what the folks who are joining us are doing it. But nonetheless, it has taken its toll on all levels of society and something that we need to be cognizant of, both in the, those in the field, as well as those folks at home and our families. So right. um, we have nothing to compare this to, and hopefully we'll never have to talk about it again. But, you know, they're going to be writing history books and reading about this in perpetuity for, uh, for a long time. So um, does anybody have any closing comments before we go? There aren't any other questions, so I'll assume uh, that we've covered everything we need to cover. Chuck, Ed, Celeste? Yeah, just just, just one quick comment. I think um, as an organization, how do you survive this? And again, we, this is probably the conversation we had last night. And so, um, you look, if, you, if you've got your organization on a good path and you're mission focused, um, and you've got your team focused around that vision for whatever your organization is, whether you're into mobile integrated healthcare or you're trying to create a regional sort of service uh, to, to, to meet the needs of your community, whatever that is. Uh, one of the things that I think from a business and, and operating perspective, you have to think about, and, and again, the analogy for me is a successful NASCAR driver, right? They have that line on the track that they're looking for. And if you think you're on the right line, if you figure that line out for your organization, the direction you'd be on, um, when you get into a crisis like we're in right now, and and that's akin to uh, one of the big curves as you're coming down to that final straightaway in a NASCAR race, what do we typically do, right? You decelerate into the curve and you hit the gas coming out. You accelerate out of the curve to stay in that line, that winning line that you have. So now's not the time to be, uh, you know, to lack the constitution to follow the mission that you have for your organization because your community depends on it, your staff depends on it. So as a leader in the organization, um, please keep your eye on the prize, focus on those things that you know make you successful and, uh, and take care of your staff, as Gary said, very, very important. Celeste, anything for closing? No, I'm good, thank you. Thanks You're for having me. No, thanks for joining us. And uh, we're going to have you back again. We are. And again. And again. Uh, yep. Chuck? <laughs> um, no, I just want to tell everybody that just be safe. No heroes in, in this. You don't have to be tough. Um, you, you don't have to suck it up. 
Um, you, you know, I know it's probably very uncomfortable wearing PPE and, but until we get an answer to this thing, um, you know, I, I, I want to see things open up, but I'm also worried as heck that we, we're going to gaslight this thing. So uh, those of us that understand how powerful this thing can be, um, don't let your guard down. You know, you're out there running around, you're running, you're interacting with people, you're right in their face. Um, take care of yourself. Okay. And like I said, mental health wise, it's time for buddy checks. Make sure your buddy's okay. And, uh, and then we'll come out of this stronger and better than ever. EMS people, as I've been part of for three decades and honored to be, are an interesting bunch. <laughs> and we, we, we tend to want to be heroes in our minds and then we leave our guards down. So I don't want to see one of you um, affected by this thing. Um, so let's uh, take it a little longer, take a deep breath, and we'll come out of this stronger and better together. That's for sure. Thank you. Thanks to all of you who joined us today for our presentation. Uh, surely, if new information on funding does come out, we'll be the first to let you know. Uh, we've worked very hard at trying to keep everybody informed as best we can. Uh, if we've, we've missed you along the way, we apologize. And we hope you found these uh, little presentations helpful to you. So if, you, if they were, please tell other people. And if you didn't think they were helpful, don't say a word. <laughs> um, but, uh, but thank you for attending and and uh god bless the great work you do uh, as chuck said we're hopefully on the on the the good side of this hopefully there won't be a round two and we can get back to some some level of normalcy here in, in the near future so with that i'll say thanks to my panel celeste chuck ed for joining us uh it means the world to always have you here and thanks to all of you who joined uh, from your respective uh, homes or organizations, wherever it might be. And I'll just close in very simply saying, as we do every time, hey, be, be safe, safe out, out there. there.